What's up, guys? It's Eric. Here's to the pencil pushers. May they all get lead poisoning, huh? Hey, guys, this is Joe. Is he always as funny or only on days when he's wanted for murder? From Touchstone Pictures, if evil has a name, it must be Doom. Hide me, Eddie! <laughs> Judge Doom. His method is murder. His passion is power. I feel like an execution. And no man nor rabbit dares stand in his way. I'm looking for a murderer. Remember, you never saw me. Who framed Roger Rabbit? He's here. A Steven Spielberg presentation, a Robert Zemeckis film, rated PG. Starts Wednesday, June 22nd at a theater near you. You're listening to Worth a Late Fee, the podcast for two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, Joe? Not bad, Eric. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm on vacation this week, so I'm good. Nice. I'm good. I, you, I, I got a text asking about movies in the theater. You think about going to see yeah, something? Or? Yeah, yeah. Bree and I were, were thinking about it. We, It's tough because we haven't seen the first... Um, with oh my god quiet, quiet place. place okay we haven't seen that the first one so we're thinking about watching that at home and then going to see the second one that's a possibility the fast one see like Bree probably has no interest in seeing that and and i love the fast franchise but i've kind of come to a realization where like after <laughs> no no like it's not the same to me after paul walker like yeah, it, it's sad. Like I, I and it, it's just I don't know. Uh, but I'll, I'll end up seeing it. But I don't have the same. You know, the other ones I like need to see it. I should say too, Joe and I are both we're recording this on, on Zoom, and it's pouring rain here, and we're both sitting next to you know window, window AC units. So if you hear like. If it sounds like you know something pins dropping, it's it's we're we're getting torrential downpours in Massachusetts right now. It can be one of those uh, like those relaxation videos you can hear in the background. So if you're listening to this, it might be a relaxing segment for you all. Hear this rain hitting our it makes AC. Me, and the- <laughs> it makes me think of the Edwin McCain song. If if uh, you grew up in the '90s, I'll be where he's like, "Rain falls angry on a tin roof," but he sounds way better because he's Edwin <laughs> McCain. He. I think it was Edwin McCain. If it wasn't Edwin McCain, I, I apologize. Bree and I were at a brewery in um, in Newburyport, which is right nearby us. And this is like two summers ago. And there was this thing about how Edwin McCain was playing there. And it's like a small place. And I was like, oh, I would go see Edwin McCain. But then the ticket price like was up. And I was like, I don't really want to pay that much money to see Edwin McCain, especially in just like playing in a bar room. yeah I, I had a similar thing with a lot of i've had that gin moment. blossoms i had that with a few yes, times me too gin I'm, blossoms is like that been it has a few really amazing songs but it's like foils a ticket i'm like i was on 40 bucks to see gin blossoms <laughs> dude the gin blossoms have more than a few no they do songs but, but their ticket I, prices are I paid, crazy <laughs> i'll tell you i paid i've seen gin blossoms twice and i paid uh i don't know what i paid the second time but the first time I saw them in a bar in Lawrence and paid the the forty dollars or whatever it was. But what got me wasn't that I paid forty dollars to see them. It was that there was like it was like Gin Blossoms uh, featuring you know whatever the opening band was. And so Bree and I go, and then 
there there's some other band played again so it's like the show started at eight o'clock i think and then they had two bands warming up for them so it's like by the time the gym blossoms are going on it was like 10 o'clock at least and i was like listen gym blossoms i love you as a band it's you know all sorts of 90s nostalgia but you have lost you don't have the clout to demand that i stay out till one in the morning anymore to see you <laughs> this isn't like 1997 <laughs> so yeah but so yeah i was standing with edwin mccain i was like i would see edwin mccain especially at this brewery it's a cool local brewery but then i was like i don't want to pay that much money to be crammed into this tiny little room to see edwin mccain but anyways you've been watching anything besides music and all that you've been watching anything good on tv so I, this weekend was, uh, I, I saw Fast 9 in Maine. I didn't see Fast 9. I saw the Pow, and it nice. was uh, about what I expected. They, uh, they go to space, Eric. They go to space. We saw that only, trailer. It was a matter of time. We, we saw the trailer, but we, they, they went to space, and Ludacris kept telling the audience, kept reassuring us that the numbers don't lie. The science is there for this to happen, where it's high a rocket to a Pontiac. And Ludacris keeps on repeating that the numbers are there. So I'm starting to believe him, like, this is all possible like Lucas is convincing that this is a makes possible sense. it makes sense the numbers are there who are you to question ludicrous <laughs> right the numbers are there it's science right. it's, the science is there it's the numbers don't lie um that was about what you expect on a fast us these days which is yep. nothing wrong with that i saw i re-watched super eight which is and it's uh, an underrated jj abrams film i don't know if you've seen that about the kids who are making a movie and then they get caught up with like this um alien invader and it's really really cool it's um i don't think so it was a 10 year 10 year anniversary i believe this year actually so i watched that again and uh again in maine there's this really cool theater if you're in the area and gunkwit there's a leave it theater it's been up for like 100 years now nine six years something like that really cool environment and they play movies in the summer free they ask for a charitable you know donation so you, I, you know, it's keep the theater alive, especially one that's not a chain. And they're playing the Sandlot, so it was Powell's first time seeing yes. that. So I was oh, like, "What did she think?" She loved it. She was laughing. It was, it was awesome. Like she was walking, yes. you come and see. She was laughing the entire time. I was, I'm still laughing because I'm hearing her laugh these scenes for the first time. So it's make, it was an awesome experience. So that's awesome. I love that's that awesome. movie, man. Like that's the, that is the. I always like question like what the best summer film is. It goes to the Sandlot. That's like I the, always... the definitive summer film. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, it's that, it's Jaws. It's those two. I think Sandlot and Jaws are my two. The scene where um, where they're playing under the fireworks. we got to be careful because this is going to be a future yes. episode. So <laughs> I don't want to, like, go on an hour rant about Sandlot. <laughs> so I, I, obviously, being on vacation, I've watched a decent amount of TV, too. I finally watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, what you think of it? Liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah really very good, good. Really good. And I know I texted you about this, but I also watched Chirac. And so I texted Joe, but I think Spike Lee might be the greatest filmmaker of our generation. If not the greatest, he's definitely in the conversation, right? If you told me that I was going to say that 10 years ago, I would have laughed in your face, but I've rewatched and or seen for the first time, a lot of his work or most of his work over the past few years. And it's just unbelievable. And, I should say that this opinion is not based on Chirac only. Like I've been watching a ton of them, but Chirac was good. Not my favorite, um, but you know, it was just him doing his, doing his Spike Lee thing where it's weird. He takes a weird path. Um, but I, I texted Joe 
that like the first hour of Chirac, I was like loving it. The second hour gets kind of too weird for me. And then the last 20 minutes gets way too weird for me, but it's still worth If you like his movie, like if you don't like Spike Lee movies, or if you saw like one of his more, um, you know, widely accepted films and that was, you thought that was weird, then Chirac's not for you because Chirac's like way weirder. But if you like Spike Lee, check it out. It's, it's, a, it's a good watch. I think it's on Prime. It's either Prime or Netflix, Netflix exclusive. I think it's Prime, but whatever. Google it. Um, but yeah, he, so he does his stuff his own way, and, and, and I just like that. And I think today's movie, Joe's Pick, you guys heard the trailer. But uh, is, it's, it's another example of something totally different, which is refreshing in today's day and age, even though this was made quite a, quite a while ago. So, Joe, what are, what are we talking about today? We are going to be discussing the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It's, well, again, it's a classic. People think it's, you know, one of his best films, and it rightfully it's definitely up there with what he's done. Um, but it's been a while since I've watched this. I think, Eric, you mentioned the same thing last episode where you've yeah. seen it in a while either. So it'd be, it was really cool revisiting this and one that I was very nervous about because of I was I didn't want to see this. I, I remember this movie being amazing and I didn't want to see an outdated version of what was in my mind. So I was a little cautious going into this one for sure. But thankfully, I still really enjoyed it. And it is still a technical masterpiece for sure. Yeah, my... I don't, I don't think I had the same fear as you did as far as I was definitely unsure of what I was going to think about it, but I didn't have, I didn't really have a score in my memory of, of it. I, I didn't remember it being awesome. I didn't remember it being bad. I just, it was kind of just part of my childhood. And I don't even think as a kid, I saw it that many times, but my memory of this film is just Christopher Lloyd. And after watching that again, it's a little bit weird because he's not the main character, but then it made total sense to me because he's terrifying. And if you were like six or so, like I probably was when I watched this or maybe a little bit older, the, the, the scenes that I remember are when he throws the shoe, the little cartoon shoe in the dip, yeah, the little boot. And then also obviously, you know, the steamroller scene. And those, those are the two scenes that I remembered from this film. And, I think it's because it like scarred me as a kid. Yeah, no, I don't remember the first time I saw this movie, but I do remember for whatever reason, Christopher Lloyd and his cartoony red eyes. That always kind of burns an image in, my, in the yeah. back of my head. So yeah. I don't remember, like, I've obviously watched this growing up after, you know, my first few watches, I'm sure. But for whatever reason, that always kind of stuck with me is those eyes, those cartoony eyes. I think creepy. I kind of lumped this one, rewatching it, I think I kind of lumped this one in with uh, Dick Tracy, which was like yeah. around the same time with Pacino and stuff. It was just kind of like a similar like comic book real film versus cartoon real film. So, but yeah. Um, do you have any stats as far as how it did money-wise financially? I do. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit was released on June 22nd, 1988, and had a budget of 50.6 million, making 329.8 million in the box office. It was written by the writing duo Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman, who wrote the love-hate live-action Grinch film. And the hate, hate Wild Wild West, amongst other films, <laughs> they Wild have Wild West. They they they've had there was the few Razzies for sure in their career, um, but they are still writing films. I think the most recent thing was rumored to be Wacky Races. I'm not sure if that was if that's still their most recent rumored um, writing assignment they have, but 
But more importantly, this movie was directed by the great Robert Zemeckis. Um, yes. A sequel has been the talks for years and years and years with people such as Spielberg and J.J. Abrams attached um, to actually having a finished script, which is really cool. Did you um, did you see anything about some of the plots that they discussed in the sequels? I was actually going to talk about that, yeah. Those, okay, good, I, good. I ta- there was a couple of them. I was going to talk about the most recent one that, that was mentioned by Zemeckis, so I'm not sure going to talk about one of the older ones, but this one was definitely a little worrisome so i'm happy yes, as of I right think... now they've kind of taken a back seat um so uh as recent as 2018 Zemeckis mecca said the current disney corporate culture has no interest in roger rabbit and doesn't make sense for disney as there is no princess in it so definitely some strong words there um but when talking about what sequel will look like the last details mention it would feature roger rabbit and jessica rabbit moving on from the new war to the world of the 1950s which sounds really cool but I also mentioned that there would be a digital version of Bob Hoskins, which does not sound very cool. So I right. definitely think they could, if they did ever continue Roger Rabbit, it'd be cool focusing on the cartoon side of things since they don't age with maybe someone new in that role of like, you know, the live action character. But the digital Bob Hoskins is definitely worrisome. So so the, the digital, I mean, the, the, the sequel ideas that I saw and I, and I don't have anything up right now. I didn't take any notes down because I didn't know we were going to talk about it. But I saw things that were a lot more questionable than... Yes, yeah, like 1941. Like those like very war There was like settings. Hitler, Nazi yes. stuff. It yeah, got, okay. It gets dark. Some of the yeah, it got ones. very dark. <laughs> it got very dark. So, um, but just while we're talking about the finance, from what you said, things that I couldn't believe, and we'll talk about um, later on, like the, the mixture of... of of having Disney and Warner Brothers characters together, but if you combine that with the the soundtrack and and and, and everything, it's just talk about a different time as far as budget wise to be able to have not only the score that it had in the jazz music, but like the Frank Sinatra stuff, and then to have those characters mixed in uh, together. If you try to do that now, either one of those companies would say, like, if you even want to start to talk to us about that, it'll never happen again. The, no, the, I don't think you so know, either. but he, if you wanted to, it would start at, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars just just for the right to to have them involved. So, um, yeah, I don't know how they did that, made that for so little money. But um, as far as how it was received critically, seven point seven out of ten on IMDb That's in ninety seven. Nine, you think you think seven point seven is low? I think that's low. Yeah, for and this then ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and then Roger Ebert four stars. And wow. this is a, a an excerpt from his uh, from his review. He says, "I stopped off at a hot dog stand before the screening of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and ran into a couple of other local movie critics. Critics, they said they were going to the same screening. I asked them what they'd heard about the film. They said they were going to see it for the second time in two days." That's the kind of word of that's the kind of of word of mouth money can't buy. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the kind of movie that gets made once in a blue moon because it represents an immense challenge to the filmmakers. They have to make a good movie while inventing new technology at the same time. And I thought that that was a pretty yeah, yeah, pretty well done, Raj. So he he loved this one. Um, you said earlier it came out in June of 1988. Yes. I'll just say before I even get into I usually we do, you know, this month in film and then this month outside of film, outside of film. There was not a ton that I wanted to talk about some negative stuff. It was the eighties. So like Ricky Henderson probably stole some bases and Nolan Ryan struck some people out, but 
And then there's, like I said, some negative stuff. So let's just focus on June of 1988 in film, which I think might be the best month we've ever talked about. So also released that month, that year. Coming to America, Big with Tom Hanks, Funny Farm, The Great Outdoors, and Bull Durham. That is insane. And, and those aren't like, usually when we have a good month like that, there's one or two in there that I really like or you really like, but you know, maybe they're not critically, th- th- those aren't, those aren't like just personal things that we like. Those are some of the classics of the eighties all coming out in one month. So it was quite a month to be, to be going to the theater. Um, do you have a back of the DVD summary on this one? I do. Down on his luck, private eye, Eddie Valiant gets hired by cartoon producer R.K. Maroon to investigate an adultery scandal involving Jessica Rabbit, the sultry wife of Maroon's biggest star, Roger Rabbit. But when Marvin Acme, Jessica's alleged paramour and the owner of Toontown, is found murdered, the villainous Judge Doom vows to catch and destroy Roger. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think I made a note of this later. I actually had a hard time rewatching it. I had a hard time following the real plot of the movie because I was so caught up in like picking out little Easter eggs of like, (laughs) of, um, you know, like Looney Tunes stuff and Disney stuff and just references. So Brie, uh, when Brie got home after I watched it, she's like, so what'd you think? And I, cause she'd seen it just like us. She's seen it, but not since she was probably like, you know, under 10 years old. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I liked it. And then she's like, what was it about? And I was like, so I, I don't really like Roger Rabbit. Gets, I was pretty much just saying that the, the title of the movie. So Roger Rabbit gets framed. And, and then I was like trying to explain it, but I couldn't. But I, it wasn't a knock on the movie. just that I was. No, too... it's the, it's the technical side of things is distracting in a good way. Yep. And that's like, that's right. why I'm sure those critics want to see multiple times as well. Right. Yeah. So um, people involved in the film and what they were doing going into it. So you mentioned Robert Zemeckis, legend, uh, Romancing the Stone in 84, Back to the Future in 85, this in 88, Back to the Future 2 and 3 in 89 and 90, Forrest Gump in 94, and then later on in his career, he would have What Lies Beneath, Castaway, Polar Express, and more and more and more. One of the better directors of the past you know, 50 years, and, and obviously everyone knows how I feel about Back to the Future, so um, a big person in my film viewing life. Um, Bob Hoskins, who played uh, private investigator Eddie Valiant, unfortunately passed away in 2014. Uh, English actor, and he's known for Pennies from Heaven in 78, The Long Good Friday in 80, Mona Lisa in 86, this film in 88, Mermaids in 1990, Super Mario Brothers in 93. And here's the one when I was watching him, I was like, what am I, what film am I thinking of looking at that face? Hook in 1995, or Hook in 1991, sorry. And then Nixon in 95, Enemy at the Gates in 01. And he had a million other movies. He had quite an active career. But those are some of the, the bigger ones. Um, he played in Hook. He played Snee. Do you remember that guy? Yes. He was like, yes. Yep. Yep. So Christopher Lloyd, a.k.a. Judge Doom. You've probably, you're probably aware of him. Um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Clue, which we've done. Back to the Future, which we've done on the podcast. Adam's Family, Eight Men Out. And then on TV, he was on Taxi for quite a good run and a million other things. Um, great career and then as far as live action actors and actresses Joanna Cassidy who played Dolores she was in Blade Runner which we did 
Obviously, she was in this one. She was in Under Fire, Fourth Protocol, The Package, Where the Heart Is, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. She was also in the TV show Six Feet Under. So quite the career for her uh, as well. And then some of the, the voice actors worth mentioning, uh, uh, Charles Fleischer played Roger Rabbit or voiced Roger Rabbit, I should say. Kathleen Turner voiced Jessica Rabbit. Um, and that's pretty much it as far as, uh, oh, and then uh, Lou Hirsch voiced uh, Baby Herman. So worth mentioning as well. Obviously a huge part of the film. Did you have anything down for um, random facts and behind the scenes stuff? I have some things, yeah. Um, so you already kind of mentioned uh, briefly on this matter, but the movie is the first and only as of 2021 uh, time that cartoon characters from Walt Disney and Warner Brothers have appeared together on screen. Since the movie was being made by Disney's Touchstone Pictures, Warner Brothers would only allow use of their biggest toon stars, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, if they got as much screen time as Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. For that reason, they were always in pairs, such as the piano battle between Daffy and Donald and the pressure scene with Bugs and Mickey. This was continued with Porky Big and Tinkerbell at the end of the movie. So, like we mentioned, we'll probably never see us ever again anytime soon with no these two never. big corporation juggernauts right now. Bob Hoskins said that for two weeks after seeing this movie, his young son wouldn't talk to him. When finally asked why, his son said he couldn't believe his father would work with cartoon characters such as Bugs Bunny and not let him meet them. That's such awesome. A, such a kid's movie. I love it. Yep. The first test audience was mostly 18 and 19-year-olds who hated it. After almost the entire audience walked out of the screening, Robert Zemeckis, who had Final Cut, said he wasn't changing a thing. So I love how he stood his ground because don't let those 18, 19-year-olds judge your film if you think it's no one else would have no one else would have that opportunity other than Zemeckis at the time but and real, real quick that yeah that Zemeckis having final cut is I think that you know when I was after I watched the movie I was reading some comments on different forums and stuff on people asking like how could they have you know why did Disney let this character do this or why did so-and-so let this character do that and I think that Zemeckis having final cut was was the reason for that and that right there is I don't even think someone like Steven Spielberg or, or, or whoever you think the most powerful person in Hollywood is, as far as like directing and everything. I don't think Disney would give up that right to anyone now. No, so this, yes. that's, this will never happen. No, never again. not these license, not these properties. No, like right. Spielberg had Ray player one with different dragon characters tied together. But with these two faces of like Warner brothers and Disney, yeah, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, my last fact is going to tie into something I want to talk about later on, but another thing that came about by accident was when Roger and Eddie Valiant arrived at Maroon Studios to interrogate Miss Maroon. As Bob Hoskins delivered his lines, he looked straight ahead and sat down at a three-foot rabbit. The animators decided to have Roger stand on uh, his tiptoes and against the wall to cover up the, the mistake. So I'm going to get into that. One of my favorite parts about this whole film was obviously the technical side of things, so I thought that was a really cool yeah. little fact too. Yeah, yeah, to no, this. it is. It is, yeah, yeah. I just had a few as well, um, similar to what you kind of a similar one to what you just said. So if this, you might bring this up later, maybe not. But when Eddie takes Roger Rabbit into the back room at the bar where Dolores works to cut apart the handcuffs, which by the way was making me like nervous because he's so aggressively cutting it. I know. Wrist, I'm like, he look away. You're gonna off. go. <laughs> I'm like, focus, focus, Eddie. But um, the lamp from the ceiling is bumped and swinging. Lots of extra work was needed to make the shadows match the actual room shots in the animation. Today, bump the lamp is a term used by many Disney employees to refer to going the extra mile on an effect just to make it a little more special, even though most audience members won't, uh, will never notice it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, 
on the special edition DVD, Zemeckis recounts that he had stated in the newspaper interview that Bill Murray was his and executive producer, executive producer Spielberg's original choice for the role of Eddie Valiant, but neither could get in contact with him at the time. Bill Murray responded in turn and said, he said that when he read that interview, he was in a public place, but he still screamed his lungs out because he would have definitely accepted the role. Um, I'm going to go through a couple other casting what ifs, uh, but so Tim Curry uh, auditioned for the role of Judge Judge Doom. Zemeckis, Spielberg, and Katzenberg found his performance terrifying, a little, little too much. Robert Williams also was considered for the roles of both Judge Doom and Eddie Valiant. And then Eddie Murphy revealed on Inside the Actors Studio in 94 that he had turned down the role of Eddie Valiant, and he regrets that decision. So wow. for Eddie Valiant and – well, we'll start with Eddie Valiant. Bill Murray, uh, Robin Williams, or Eddie Murphy? Do you think any Bill of them? Murray. Bill Murray. I yes, agree. I agree with that. Bob Hoskins is definitely a choice, but Bill Murray kind of has that same attitude in most of his films, so he could work. And then Robin Williams. Imagine Robin Williams is Judge Doom. Judge Doom. That I love Christopher Lloyd, and and I don't think there are many people that I think could have a more cartoon face and do it better. But the one exception to that may be Robin Williams, yeah. but. I mean, it all worked out in the end, but um, the movie's line, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way, was voted as the 83rd, was voted number 83 of the 100 greatest movie lines by Premiere in 07. And then last one, 326 animators worked full-time on this film. In total, 82,080 frames of animation were drawn, including storyboard, storyboards and concept art. Animation director Richard Williams estimates that well over 1 million drawings were done for this movie, which is insane. I don't know how they, yeah, yeah. Um, So next category is one that's kind of, I think was more interesting for this one than it usually is for us. I mean, I always like doing this, but what what did you have down for not in this millennium stuff that wouldn't fly in today's environment? So I was actually going to have you go first with this one because I was going back and forth different things. Okay. So some of the, the way I'll, I'll get us going here, but maybe some, some of the things, the dialogue that Valiant was like, how he talked to some of the women and how he kind of, I guess, acted around them is kind of questionable, especially for a Disney film or anything else. I think the way he, some of like the sex references and all that, but yeah, not, so, I, don't, I don't know if this movie was, it might've been, I had like a PG-13 rating if it came out today. Yeah, 100%. But I, don't, I definitely would have. I don't think anything that was, too controversial unless I missed it. So I'll have you fill in the gaps here because I did miss anything. Yeah. So this is, like I said, this is a fun one. And the, there's two separate questions, really. The first one is, would people have a problem with this today? 150%. People are, for better and for worse, a lot more sensitive to a lot of things. Sometimes it's ridiculous. Sometimes it's it's not ridiculous. But um. I think the real question is like, where's the line for, for cartoons and, and, you know, in the past and everything. So I, like I said, I don't think this is going to PG rating today, but I don't want to talk about that without having a, when I was a kid sort of moment, there are things that were in cartoons that we were, when we were younger that aren't in there anymore. Some of those things are truly inappropriate. And like, if you, if you think you're being, or anyone's being over overly sensitive when they Google that. Just YouTube, you know, Looney Tunes or whatever. Oh yeah, the famous Tom and Jerry blackface episode that's been banned oh, yeah. for. It's there's like some really bad really stuff. Really different back then right. than they are today for sure. Right. So there's that stuff, and then there's stuff that 
people also have a problem with that I think is hilarious, like a baby smoking a cigar, a cartoon mother making a joke about bringing a pet rabbit to the lab or back to the lab. So <laughs> this, this, I think this movie straddled the line like perfectly. Like you said, I don't think Disney would ever do this again. I'm surprised they did it once, but nothing in this movie bothered me at all. I, I, I just think it, yeah, you have to say what we said. It wouldn't happen again. That's part of why this one's a classic, but yeah. there was stuff like, even there was one scene where um, I can't remember who it was, but made fun of the other guy for having a, a speech impediment. Was it like uh, Daffy Duck or. Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was Donald Duck, Donald Duck or Daffy Duck. I can't remember who it yeah. was now, but yeah. But yeah, so there was stuff in this movie that if they made it today, it wouldn't happen. Oh but yeah, the, nothing... the joke that we talked about in the beginning with the um, when he reaches down Jessica's blouse and he gets his, the, the yeah. trap on his hand, the yeah, booby yeah. trap, yeah, nice booby trap, like stuff like that. Again, PG Disney movie is a wild thought. Or when she says, "Is that a rabbit in your pocket? Are you just <laughs> happy to see me?" Yeah, no, but see, that's <laughs> what I mean. Like that, most of the stuff in it was just it just made you laugh. It was yeah. like. It, it, there was a part of me that's like, whoa, that's you don't expect to hear that in a kids movie, but it's it's it was funny. So, what, but what did you did you want to talk about this later, or did you, did you have something to follow up on that? Or no, no, you pretty much covered. You pretty much covered. Yeah. I had the same idea. I the same thing mentioned that it would not get PG rating in twenty twenty one, but it still isn't controversial in a way where you no. know it'd be banned yeah. or anything. Yeah, you can you can totally sit down and watch this and not, you know it's it doesn't make you uncomfortable we've done movies in the past where someone says something or does something and you're like oh yeah. that, that there's none of that in this one it was it was funny it was like just turn your relaxed movie about a cartoon private investor or a cartoon rabbit and a private investigator and it's and it's also set in the 40s or whatever it was so right. it's whatever but anyway favorite scene you had kind of talked about your favorite scene earlier and how it was going to come up again so what did you have down so yeah i have this is kind of a weird one for me i'm going to cheat a little here and talk about more of the technical side of things first and that was briefly mentioned a scene but um the animation in this movie is just beautiful it's way ahead of its time we talk about some like the like i mentioned the, the fun fact there where there was one little goof where um eddie was supposed to be looking at roger rabbit making eye contact but he misses it because roger in the in in the description is three feet tall but he was looking above that so they made the little cheat of having him stand on tippy toes, which is brilliant. But that just goes to show like how much thought and effort went into all of this. It's every character, they never forgot their descriptions. They never took any shortcuts around this. It is a technical masterpiece to this day still. The way it was made, the whole film was shot without cartoon portions original. So it's pretty much live action characters just acting around nothing. No characters, they're looking at invisible things. And then later on, the cartoons were drawn on the photostats. So they actually hand drew everything right in the photostats to make it look so it was able to match up the eye contact. And there was an extra step to make it look official, make these characters seem very real. The effects used to mimic some actions of the cartoon characters, like a mechanism developed to break plates when Roger smashed them over his head during the record skipping sequence, to the baby smoking a cigar. Again, real cigar, fake baby, obviously. So little things like this where they kind of went above and beyond to make this a real world is super impressive the characters never feel attached from this movie like you never see them floaty or anything they always feel like they're actually in the movie with the live action characters so it seems like the worlds work entirely blend the entire way through so yeah, technical they, side of, oh we're gonna say 
no, no, I was going to follow up, just agree with you. And there was stuff where, like, they went above and beyond um, where, like, you know, a cartoon character would touch something and then afterwards there would be, like, a print on it yes. or, like, you know, they would touch the clothing or, or the curtain or something and, and you would actually see it in the live-action curtain. So, yeah. yeah. it's It really is, like, the whole, like, if you look at a lot of, watch a lot of these films now, there's not that many, unfortunately, but even going back, way back when whatever the the last one came out but the hybrids the characters always seem kind of floaty in them um and that's what a lot of hybrids do wrong and still to this day this is the most impressive hybrid ever made so technical side of things easily the standout of the film but now for my favorite scene real fast a lot of really great ones come to mind, but I always loved when Roger and Eddie are first going to know each other and the weasels are looking for Roger at this given scene while Eddie is hiding him in the sink while doing his laundry. It shows another cool effect when Roger squirts water out of his mouth, which again was an added effect after using a mechanism. Um, but the tension in the scene for as early as it is does a good job setting up both characters and their relationship for the rest of the film. I think, yeah, I think that's a good one. I you said when you picked your um, your favorite scene, you're going to cheat a little bit. Uh, I cheat every time we do favorite scene, <laughs> almost, almost every time. Because, And this is another example. Of it. There really isn't one scene that sticks out to me, but at least not one that, that's like serious. But if you, if you force me to pick one, I think that I would say, I, I love the scene where they're reviewing the Jessica Rabbit playing patty cake um, like photos. And if you haven't seen the movie, Patty Cake is pretty clearly <laughs> no, a so euphemism sure. <laughs> for she's having an affair uh, with another person because, you know, he, whatever, he walks up and he's like kind of eavesdropping and whatever, and he hears noises. And then, but just, I just love, that was the best um, or my favorite mix of cartoon versus live action is when he's flipping through the pictures and it's almost like a slideshow of like every second and it's just re it almost it's another form of animation almost so yeah. i i really like that one um my favorite part of the film and this is going to tie into the next one i think was the soundtrack did you i i love the jazz music i love you know everything so did you have anything down for the soundtrack or i do um i just like you love 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 did i wrote um, the movie is a film noir and the soundtrack is fitting for that genre with the cool jazz sound composed by the great Alan Silvestri, who has worked with Rosa Meckes quite a bit. It has an old feel to it when the mystery is heating up, but it really does a good job transitioning to the more cartoony related worlds with the classic cartoon music as well. And this goes to show how talented Silvestri is combining two different world soundtracks in one. And it did get a vinyl release. I like mentioning every so often in case there are collectors out there. It did get a vinyl release through Mondo a couple of years ago. Um, really cool design, too. That plays a really good, cool homage to the original LaserDisc version. Um, but so if anyone enjoys spinning a good soundtrack on vinyl, definitely worth looking into. because It's a really good, really good pressing. Speaking of vinyl and, and uh, an unofficial, unofficial sponsor of the podcast, the place where I get most of the beer that we have in the pod, we drink on the podcast is RMA in uh, Amesbury. It's RMA Craft Beer and Wine. And that's one thing that they've added over the past year is they have a record player and they play like cool old, you know, sometimes it's old, sometimes it's like way older music. Like it'll be like Frank Sinatra or whatever, but then sometimes it'll be like a Bruce Springsteen album or whatever. They just have always have it playing. It's, it's a nice touch. Nice, nice, that's classy nice. touch. Has there ever been a yeah. moment where you were in the store and it started skipping 
and they had to like fix the skipping because that happens quite a bit with <laughs> no <laughs> I don't, think, I don't think it has and, <laughs> okay. and i there's been moments where they it it stops and then like they, like not stops in the middle of a song but it's almost like someone stopped it at one point and then they forgot to turn it back on and then once they realize they run over and restart it but no no it's it's good um if you could change one thing you know what i'll just go first you went first for the the other one but i didn't have and if i could change one thing for this one until i read the fun facts and this is i thought bob hoskins was great um he was he was awesome. He, if I didn't read those fun facts, I would have. And and you had to pick an MVP of the movie. I probably would have picked Bob Hoskins. I still I still would pick Bob Hoskins. But if you tell me if you mention some of those other names and say that they could have been tied to that character, that I, I mean that that would have taken this. I don't. This movie did so well. It's tough to say that it would have taken it to another level. But the thought of Robin Williams or, or Bill Murray or Eddie Murphy doing that role. It's, it's pretty cool. But other than that, I don't really have any one thing that I would change. Cause it's kind of a weird movie in a good way. And, and it's like, I don't know. I don't want to iron out any wrinkles that take away some of the character. Not a great, <laughs> as dumb as it is. I think, like you said, Bill Murray, I think is the only person on that list who could really play Eddie's character. Yeah. But for the old noir setting, like the old film set in that, in that world, like 1940s, man, Bob Hoskins pulled off that jacket, the hat, he pulled it all off so well. Oh, to like great. Fashion-wise. The tie, the short the tie. tie. Just, yeah. um, what would you change if you could change anything? I was kind of like you. I, I said this movie's a classic and rightfully so. The way it seamlessly combines rural settings with cartoon ones, 1988 still looks better than movies do it today. I don't have anything really bad to say about it other than sometimes the dialogue can be a bit questionable with who's being delivered to audience wise, but this is a film that was catered to both adults and kids when it came out. So I'm not going to use that as against because sometimes it it really is like they are running it one half of it for kids, one half of it for adults. And like, you kind of forget that while you're watching some of the dialogue exchanges. So I guess I take back what I'm, what I said about not having one thing to change because in my review, which I'm going to give here in a second, I touch on what you just said. And I think that's a fair point, but, um, so we can, we can we can get to that now. Um, it's the point of the podcast where we give our score. Uh, we rate movies on a scale of one to five. Would you mind paying a late fee to keep this movie? So a score of one is you turn it on. And and I when I turn this on, Joe, because I, I didn't really have a, a memory of, of this one. So for that opening scene where it was the rabbit and the mother saying she was going to bring him back to the lab, I was like, I was like, if there's going to be all car if there's going to be mostly cartoon like this it i don't have an hour and 40 minutes of this but it, it isn't but if you were like me and you got to that spot and you got a little nervous and you just returned it uh because you didn't want to pay a late fee uh, on the movie that would be a one all the way up to score five which is you watch the movie once you love it you watch it again to try to pick up on more easter eggs of looney tunes characters or disney characters or whatever uh, and you watch it so many times that you keep it a few extra days and pay a late fee. Maybe even you just buy it from the video rental store. That would be a five. So high score is a five. This one was different for me. It was interesting, a little bit of nostalgia, um, but I just really liked that they did something different. I gave this one a 3.5 out of five. I'm not sure, and this is to follow up on what you just said. I'm not sure who the target audience really is for this one, other than people like me now like at my current age as a 36 year old who is going back because i don't know 
if they expected kids to follow along with that storyline because I couldn't and I'm 36. And I also don't think a lot of adults, I think a lot of adults could maybe pass on some of the cartoon stuff and they might have a hard time with the, with the storyline, but the, the nostalgia and just like the old characters and just little stuff. Like at one point they walk in a room and there's a poster of Porky pig and it's like Porky pig or it was like a pork sales or, or a sausage factory <laughs> yes. or something, stuff like that. It was, it was just fun to watch. I love those, those uh, Easter eggs and brought me back to my childhood and some are obvious, some not so much. And like I said, it makes me want to go back and watch it again to see if I can catch some more of them. I don't think that it's quite as good as like, I think that 97% are rotten tomatoes, obviously by the fact that I'm giving it a three and a half, I don't think it's that good, but I think it's a really good movie. And if anyone asked me to rewatch it again tomorrow, I would, I would, I would do it. So, and I, again, again, I love when people do stuff different, do things different. They definitely took a leap with this one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, no, I, I, this is, this is definitely a high one to review. Like it's a lot of it is, I reviewed a lot of it on the technical side of things as well in the back of my head, but I also love animation. I love cartoons. I love the old, I still watch Disney films. I still watch, you know, I just bought the Flintstones series on Blu-ray last week. So it's, it's funny. We mentioned like how, if you saw this animated, like the short, the beginning of the film, you may have turned it off. I actually almost picked that as my favorite scene. <laughs> the fact that they added like a whole short, like almost like a classic six minutes short. I thought that was awesome. I almost picked that as my favorite scene, but I guess a 4.5. I almost gave it a five, but some of the dialogue, like you said, was kind of confusing on who it was being delivered to which is the reason why I kind of docked a little bit of it because I wouldn't, sh- I w- I, in 2021, I, would, I wouldn't be sure who to show this to entirely, but I was a little working on this film as I haven't seen it in a while. And it was almost sure it would have felt outdated, um, but I was definitely wrong. Thankfully, this could have easily been a simple dumb story and making the live action animation hybrid. The only reason to see this film as like the selling gimmick for the most part, but the story be- ended up being pretty good and kind of in depth for a uh, PG Disney distributed film. There's some dialogue that can be a little questionable sometimes, but nothing worth really taking away from the film. The animation and technical details stand along pretty much by itself still 30 years later. Um, And you have to wonder if anything will ever come close to it now with the CGI driven world. So I do think this movie stands on its own and probably will. I don't think anyone will go through the efforts to make a film as detailed as this. I totally agree on the animation. I did. There were two. So there were two moments where I was like, all right, that animation real life is, uh, you know, merger is a little sloppy. The first one was when um, um, the bouncer guy throws Eddie Valiant out of the bar. And it just, it looked like, it looked like a screensaver where he's like flipping and like whatever. And then the other one was when, um, when uh, Roger Rabbit takes the shot and it's just like the liquid, like went up against a wall where his, where his mouth oh, when, it, when uh, Christopher Lloyd has him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay but no but yeah uh, it, w- it was impressive especially considering this movie was made in 1988 like you said people have tried to do similar stuff like this with way more money way more technology and it, it hasn't been as as seamless and I didn't have a problem with the opening scene I liked it I just didn't want to because I didn't remember the film at all I was like I don't want to watch if, if half of the movie is going to be this, I don't want to watch all of that. But for, for a few minutes, it was nice. But um, so in closing, uh, the beer was delicious. I'll, I'll try to post a picture so you guys can see why I 
why I picked it. There's a creepy rabbit on the on the can. The rabbit is very creepy. It's like one of those like magic trick rabbits. You plow the hat. It looks super right. creepy. Right. And uh, and then before I get into what we're going to be doing next, I have to mention um, I had some follow up conversation with a friend of mine about Independence Day, and I want to be clear on one thing. God, here we I go. think. No, no, no. I think my, he thought I still stand by my my score that I gave Independence Day. 2.5, right? I think I gave it a 3.25 or something. Okay. But I, I could be wrong, but whatever. But my I had a little bit of a, a negative tone with it. But I, but the only thing is that's because I remembered it being like one of the greatest action movies of my life and, and and so i thought it was a li- it wasn't that but it was still like we said a summer classic and totally fun to rewatch and whatever so had to get that off the off the list um other than that follow us on instagram suggestions requests episode requests are always welcome and our instagram is worth a late fee so again it's worth a late fee we'll be back next week and um I was I had a movie that I was going to do for last week's episode for the Independence Day episode, but we said we had we kind of had to move things around um, because of that. And before I get into that movie, I uh, my friend Brian, who's probably listening, he told me a request, and I just want to let Brian know we haven't forgotten about your request. We have a couple movies that we have to do just because they're seasonally. You know, it's more important to do those first, but we will be doing the, the movie that you mentioned, Brian. What movie did you mention? Do you want, you want to tell me that now or? Yeah, I, I, t- I can't tell you on air, Joe. There's, okay. like, there's like six people listening. It'll, it'll get blown. Um, so. Hey, I don't know. Our... That email we got was pretty. pretty yeah, uh, no, yeah. That felt pretty good. We got an email that we're getting more without getting too in detail. We're getting more and more listeners and we thank you guys so much. If you, if you are a listener, please rate and subscribe and and whatever and, and like clearly i said all, yeah clearly they're all coming from apple so <laughs> right and, and like i said if you have a movie that you want us to do send us send us a message on instagram we'd love to we love the interactive part of it so um so to tie my next pick to this one i have one more fun fact the tunnel through which valiant drives to reach toontown is the same tunnel used for back to the future 2 in 1989 it's in the hover hoverboard versus biff's ford road chase Robert Zemeckis directed that film in which Christopher Lloyd starred and who framed Roger Rabbit composer Alan Silvestri composed the music. This is uh, the first sequel that we've ever done. Joe and I said that we wouldn't do sequels, but I was like a while ago, I was like, oh, for my birthday, because we did the first Back to the Future, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Last year, we're going to do the second one for my birthday this year. We're going to be a week or two late because we wanted to do Independence Day, but next week we're going to be doing Back to the Future 2 which I'm from 1989, which I'm obviously pretty excited about. Continuing the Zemeckis and Silver Street train here. Awesome. This is the first time we've had back-to-back movies from the same director, composer, duo as well. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you guys very much for listening. Again, Brian, we will get to your movie. Don't worry. Um, And if anyone else has any suggestions, message us at Worth a Lead Fee. But yeah, thanks a ton for listening. Yes. As always, thank you.